0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White
1: and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, I Want to Put a Baby in You. I'm Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White. Hi, Jen. How are you?
2: I am good. How about you?
1: Good. Um, I am always amazed by the people who can do it all. Um, and have done it all, and this guest is no exception to that, especially when it comes to building a family. Before we dive in, Jen, do you, I feel like you do it all. How do you feel about that?
2: You know, I mean, I think you and I have had some exchanges recently about this, or like, or (laughs) I guess one-sided, I keep sending you stuff about it, right? (laughs) Oh, in case you feel like you're not doing it all. It does, it is because I feel like that, you know, sometimes we, we put out that perception to the world, right, that we can do it all, and actually, I was watching something that was like inspirational to me that it was like that she was like, it looks like I'm doing it all. But if I am showing up for you in the public, then I am failing my family at home. And if I am showing up for my family, then I'm probably blowing off something at work and that we really can't do it all. But it's OK to not do it all as long as you're doing the priorities, the things that are important to you. And she especially was like, I, it felt very important to her to be showing her children what mom does and that you know that her work is important and that being present there was important but also that being present for her family was important too Yeah. so I really like it it felt really good to see that and, and kind of be validated that it's okay to not be able to do it all so mm-hmm. my my curated looks like it I can do it but but I'm okay with myself as I am. So,
1: how about you? Do you feel like you can do it all? No, not at all. And actually, we—I ha- had a lovely guest the other day who was in Colorado, uh, Sarah Page, who also was a guest on the episode uh, with mm. Art Risk and the insurance expert and makes insurance interesting. But she was here in Colorado, and I had her over. And I was like, Ooh, here's the evidence. I do not do it all. My house is not the immaculate, clean, amazing thing. I am not the amazing cook. I would love to be so many areas. I definitely do not do it all. And I just hope somewhere I make up for it for something and someone. Um, but this podcast, wow. In terms of all the ways you can form a family, um, our guest is amazing and it's an amazing story to hear. Welcome, Maureen Nowak, to the podcast. Maureen, uh, so excited to have you here. You actually reached us out to us after listening to the podcast, which makes us feel um, very special. Very <laughs> honored. to have yeah. you. But separately, have such an amazing story that we're so glad you can share with so many twists and turns. And I feel like so many people can relate to so many parts of it. Um, and I'm always the worst at like, where do we start? So, How (laughs) how do you start how would you start to introduce yourself
0: okay so my husband and i met in 2003 we were married in 2009 while i was finishing my last couple of semesters of midwifery school um and then we decided a few years a few years later that life was manageable as both a midwife and a wife that we could start trying to grow our family
1: nice and like first thing, pregnant, easy peasy, 10 kids later.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, first month we're trying. I was like, oh, my God, I'm pregnant right now. This is so amazing. I can't believe it. And then my period came, mm. And I was like, oh, well, that didn't happen. Yeah. And then 12 more months of those. And you're like, oh, well, I guess it isn't that easy. Because mm. you just hear those stories of women who are like, I didn't even try. It just happened. So I was like, oh, well, that would be me. Yeah.
2: You're like, really? stop saying You're like, please, people should never say that, right?
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm- I would love to hear your perspective working in midwifery that like you're surrounded by pregnant people and birth, right?
0: So much so. Yeah. And it was, it was hard at times. And I know a lot of people struggle with that when they see people coming in with unintended pregnancies or pregnancies they're not taking care of. And so it could be a little bit disheartening at times when you see those babies who are like not wanted when you wanted one of your own. Yeah. But I just knew God had a plan for me. I wasn't going to give up. Let me keep going and we will figure out how to get our babies.
1: Yeah. So what did you guys do?
0: So we started with, well, actually, so I had very, very light cycles. So I wanted my doctors to just look at my lining and like, maybe that's why, because my periods were really light. Yeah. And they put the ultrasound on and all I see is this big black blob on the screen. And I was like, that's not normal. Mm. So I ended up having a complex cyst. Oh, so we wow. got a second. She recommended removal. We got a second opinion from an REI <clears throat> and they agreed that um, it would probably be in the way either prohibiting ovulation or if they needed to do IVF, that it would be in the way for an egg retrieval. Mm. So they recommended removal. So I had a five centimeter complex cyst removed that ended up so being that's an like endometrioma.
2: pretty big too. Yeah, yeah. I had
0: no idea it was even there.
2: Mm. So I
0: had that removed. That was the end of 2013. So like only a year into trying. Um, and right before that when we saw the REI, she said that my antral follicle count was eleven. So I didn't have a lot of follicles at baseline, but enough they could like work with it. And what so we did do, a surgery to give, oh, give
1: reference, like what's a good number for that?
0: I honestly am not hundred percent sure, <laughs> but I think more like fifteen or twenty. Mm-hmm, okay. So like eleven was not great, but it was we could do this.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: So they recommended removal. And then as soon as I was healed from the surgery, they wanted to go ahead and do IUI. So a month later, we were doing our first IUI. Of course, thought, you know, this will work. We'll get pregnant. No big deal. Well, <laughs> then Christmas Eve found out we weren't pregnant. So I was like, all right, well, I guess we'll Christmas do that again. Eve. Yes, yes. Oh. Terrible timing. So we start our second cycle. And so this is January of 2014. So just two years into trying. And in the middle of our second IUI, four days prior to going in, we got a text. We were standing in my kitchen. My husband's giving me an injection in my belly and I get a text that says, hypothetically speaking, if there was a baby to be adopted, would you be interested? Oh, wow. From a and I think coworker my heart or? Stopped. Yes, a coworker. Wow. I think my heart stopped. I just looked at my husband and I was like, well, this is weird. And so we right. kind of said, let's think about this, like get more information. We can't decide right now. Let's see. This is a Thursday, so we had a church on Sunday, and the message is all about "I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength." So I was like, "Huh, okay." So I get home, I said to my husband, or not actually, my husband said to me. So are we going to tell our families that we're adopting a baby? We hadn't discussed it again. That was all he said. (laughs) Did we we make a decision? (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, oh, my gosh. So we're doing this. He's like, yeah, we're doing this. And we also decided that, no, we were not going to tell our families because we were too worried. Mm. It was such short notice. She was already 35 weeks pregnant. The birth mom was 15. We just felt like there were too many variables. Too many things could happen. So we did not tell our families. And then spent the next t- two weeks doing home studies, collecting referrals from friends, fingerprinting, background secretly
2: checks. Doing, secretly doing things as secretly, secretly as you can without yeah. telling people, but also yes. having to tell people what you're doing essentially, right? I need a referral. Wait, I uh, need It's not yes. a yeah.
0: <laughs> so The only people we told were the people we needed referrals from. Yeah. <laughs> right. So didn't tell anybody. So then, this is two weeks from the text, we found out that she was going into to be induced. And I think it was I guess twenty four hours later into the induction, woke up that morning to a text that said, It's a girl, blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh wow. And I I think my heart stopped again. Like I just was like, Wow, this could actually happen. So in South Carolina, you have twenty four hours, you have to wait twenty four hours from the birth for the birth mom to sign papers. So we basically held our breath for twenty four hours, not knowing if this was really going to happen, but she's here, she's healthy, she's safe.
1: Were you there? Like, did you go meet baby or no? No. You're waiting. Okay. So
0: yeah. So the, the, the birth mom went to um, this friend of a family, like well-known in the area and kind of said, I need you to find parents. I don't want to know who they are. And I need this baby out of me. So because she didn't know who we were, I was so afraid. It was at the hospital I worked. I was so afraid that, Somebody would say, oh, that's so great. Our midwife's adopting your baby. And she'd be like, nope, find somebody else. So we didn't tell anybody. So I was, yeah, so I was at the hospital seeing patients and I could like hear this baby in the nursery crying, knowing she's not (gasps) in mind. And I couldn't tell anyone or do anything or see her.
2: Wow. oh my god could you it go like look through craziest the craziest rooms? nothing
1: walking nope. by like oh, I have something to do in this room
0: <laughs> no. so the, the OBGYN knew the pediatrician knew I ended up having to tell the nurse manager eventually and they did send a few pictures so I would seen her once prior Aww. to meeting her but that whole day I was just like oh my gosh this could be happening but I don't know yet so this was on a Thursday morning and my husband had to go to work in Ohio. We were living in South Carolina. He had to go to work in Ohio for a trip he could not get out of. So he left the say, next morning. Cuz it's not like you planned this in advance, right? <laughs> Didn't plan it, right? No notice. So he leaves for work the next morning and we um I wake up that morning and our church had given us like a uh, one year, 365 day Bible reading plan. So you like read these certain verses on these certain days. So I start reading that morning, the morning that the birth mom potentially would be signing the papers. And the verse was Psalm um, chapter 20 verse 4. And the verse was, "May He grant your heart's desires and make all of your plans succeed." And that was the same verse that a good friend of mine had told me. It's okay for you to pray that god grant your heart's desire so this is like the verse i had been praying for the last two years and that's the verse we read on the morning she signed papers and i was like well i guess we're getting a baby today like she's signing papers wow. it's gonna happen it was amazing so then she signs that morning we get notice from the social worker and they said she signed she's yours come pick her up at five
2: wow that's it you're like uh oh, we're parents at five o'clock <laughs> right
1: and we're you're on your own because your husband's in ohio. And my husband's in
0: ohio <laughs> yep exactly oh, wow. So we called my um, pastor's wife, a good friend of mine um, from our church there, and they went with me to get my daughter. Um, my co-workers were there. There was anesthesiologists and pediatricians and nurses and managers and like everybody from the hospital was there with us because why not? My husband can't be there. Let's have a party. Um, <laughs> and they wheeled her in and I literally stopped breathing at that point. And I just couldn't believe it. But that was my baby. and. Here I am now. She's sitting here eight
2: years old. Oh (laughs) my goodness. Wow.
0: Oh my God. So,
2: okay. So we're going to backtrack a little bit here because as you're talking about that story, you were in that moment. Also your husband at the beginning of that story
0: was giving you injections in your belly. So what happened with all that? Oh, right. So yeah, we, as soon as we decided to move forward with the adoption, we called our agent or our clinic and said, we are canceling our IUI. So we decided we wanted to pursue this instead of the IUI and put everything else on hold. So we canceled our IUI and moved forward with just the adoption.
2: Okay. So you have a baby. I assume your husband comes home from his trip as fast as he can. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So he was gone for a week.
2: I, I feel you. My husband was gone for the first week of our child's life. So I totally feel
0: you. Oh, I don't feel alone. So he met the baby on FaceTime. He yeah. he was at his parents' house. They were living Ooh. in Ohio then. So he just, like, brought the phone downstairs and was like, hey, do you want to meet your new granddaughter? And we just blew <gasps> everybody's minds. My sister. Okay, oh, that's
2: sisters, special <laughs> that he was there with them, though. Yes. How cool is that? Yes.
0: My, we were recording oh. it. My mother-in-law literally fell off the chair when we told her. And so then we Facetime my whole family and told everybody and they all said, did you steal the baby? I said, no, I promise I didn't steal the baby. She really is mine. <laughs>
2: so of course they were all
0: completely shocked.
2: Wow. Oh, okay. So, so you're done, right? That's it. Family building. Completed.
0: Yeah. Yep. Family building yeah. done. We've got a baby. Life is good. Okay.
2: Well then yeah, for we real, decide, you know, maybe next? we did another one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So I don't know that we were really like trying for the next year, but we definitely were not preventing. Um, but, you know, everyone says, once you adopt a baby, you'll get pregnant right away. So, of course, I'm thought, like, oh, we'll get pregnant right away now. Well, of course, that didn't happen either. Inoffensive offensive so. things to say, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. So, okay, a year later, my daughter's one, maybe one and a half. Um, we still hadn't gotten pregnant. So we thought, like, let's go get another consult, see where we are. Um, and that ovary where I had the cyst removed has never been seen again. So, My follicle count that went from 11 was now down to four because now I only had one working ovary when I previously had had two. Oh, Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, I don't, we don't, technically, I guess, unexplained, but maybe diminished ovarian reserve, maybe a little bit from the endometriosis, but I didn't have any other endometriosis besides the cyst. So, at that point, we didn't care about biology. We had a child who wasn't biologically related to us, but was certainly ours. And so we started to think about embryo adoption. So I had had a patient when I was a nurse, a labor and delivery nurse, who had had donor embryo twins, boy-girl twins. So that was the first time I had really heard of it, and I was definitely intrigued by that. So we started to just kind of do some research and read about it. I actually found a blog um, about embryo adoption. I learned a lot just reading through this um, woman's story. And lo and behold, in her blog is that same verse, Psalm 24. And I was like, maybe this is what we're supposed to do. Like this verse just keeps coming up. It's a random blog about embryo adoption. Like there's got to be something to it. So I approached my husband about it and he was like, yeah, I think that sounds like a really good idea. So my daughter was one and a half at this point. We weren't in a huge rush. Um, So I kind of joined a Facebook group to learn about embryo adoption and just kind of get more information about it and, Somebody had posted about openness, so sometimes embryo adoption, you have a relationship with the couple, you can meet, you can be friends, you can see each other in person, share pictures, other people it's closed, you have no information, maybe just medical history. And I just commented how I wished I had a little bit of openness with my daughter's birth mom, just so mm-hmm. I could tell her, thank you. Yeah. And, and can I ask just-
1: about, with the, can we go back just a second for the adoption? Yeah. Do you yeah. know, do you guys have any contact or know anything about oh, each other? Oh, yeah, no, nothing. Nothing. We had a medical
0: history, so that was part yeah. of the social worker's job was obtaining a medical history, but she didn't know who the father was. So we don't know anything about the father, but we were given her family's medical history. So we have that information. Um, but she didn't want to know who we were. She didn't want to have any communication. So it's basically closed. I mean, you can't legally close an adoption now, but it's basically closed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we were just commenting saying, you know, I wish I could have said thank you to her because she grew my family. Um, and out of the blue, just based on this comment in a post in the thread, I got a message from someone who said, are you looking for embryos? And I was like, um, I mean, casually kind of. We're just learning <laughs> about it. Um, yeah, and she ended up being the grandmother of the embryos. So we call her the snowflake grandma. Um, so she had actually funded her son and daughter-in-law's IVF and surrogacy. They used a surrogate because her daughter-in-law had a hysterectomy. And so they had tasked her with finding a home for their nine remaining embryos. Oh, nine. So we talked a ton for a couple of weeks. They were kind of like on the fence. Do we want to do this? Do we not want to do this? They just weren't 100% sure. And then eventually came to the point just kind of getting to know each other like, yes, we want to give you embryos. How's four to start? So we were elated. I mean, it just kind of happened. You know, we weren't pursuing it. We weren't signed up with an agency similar to the adoption. It just fell into our lap. So we're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll take your embryos. That sounds great.
1: And did you know a lot about each other? Were you kind of like, were you FaceTiming? Were you learning about backgrounds?
0: Yeah, so we did a lot through Facebook Messenger and then eventually through text. I don't know that we ever FaceTimed, but we definitely talked on the phone. Initially, it was just me talking to my white like, grandma. And then we did talk to her daughter in law as well and just kind of got to know them. So we had their family history to the point of they all have cat allergies and they all have their master's in education. Uh And the donor dad is six foot six. No cats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so donor dad was six foot six. The twins that they have are very tall. Is that okay? Like we had all kinds of information about them. And they had every, I mean, they could ask us anything they wanted to know about us. We were happy to share that information too. So they said, do you want embryos? We said, yes. So we went and contacted a lawyer. um, Did you know this 60 page contract to get the embryos? (laughs) And they were in Texas. We were still in South Carolina. They were in Texas. So we made the decision, rather than me, go there to move the embryos. So we had the embryos shipped from Texas to South Carolina. And they arrived uneventfully. Everything was great. We were ready to transfer whenever we were ready.
1: Yeah. And
0: so? So this was 2016. So my, do- my first daughter was born in 2014. So she's two now at this point. Um. So we start doing meds for our first frozen embryo transfer. I had never done IVF before. So this is all completely new. But I got to st- skip this stimulation part. So it's just getting the lining ready for implantation. Yeah. So we go through all of that, everything goes smoothly. We come into um, the clinic for the transfer, and they say, well, there's one little hiccup. We went to go saw the best embryo, and the straw was empty. Oh. So apparently, it never, oh. the straw was empty. Yeah, there was no embryo in there. So apparently, when they froze them, at this point, probably six, seven years ago, it never got up into the straw.
2: Hmm. So they said,
0: but we saw the next best one. My, okay. my poor daughter, she's the next best, but <laughs> oh. <laughs> ah, the second embryo, transfer the embryo, and we wait. So, of course, I'm in well, all of these. Day wait in your life, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. So true. So I, a lot of people start testing right away, and I was too nervous. I was just like, I'm going to stay in denial. I'm not going to do anything. And then on day eight, I think it's like two days prior to the first beta HCG, I was like, well, let me just see. And so I take home pregnancy test. And for the first time in my life, I saw two lines, and I did not believe it. I think I took 10 <laughs> that same morning because I did not believe that this could possibly happen, that I was actually present, pregnant for the first time ever. That's amazing. So, of course, I mean, if you continue testing and watching the line, and, you know, everything looks like it was progressing. We do our betas. Everything looks perfect. Get to ultrasound. I think we did the ultrasound a little bit early because I work in an in a, um, OB-GYN clinic, so we did it a little bit earlier. And there wasn't a heartbeat yet, but there was a fetal pull, so we had that reassurance, and then like two or three days later, we were able to see her heartbeat for the first time. And it was just the most amazing feeling
1: ever. And how'd the pregnancy go?
0: The pregnancy was pretty good. Um I ended up having at twenty six weeks. Um I had some like contractions that weekend when I was at work and one of the doctors checked and I wasn't dilated, did a cervical length, everything went fine. So then I'm going back into work on Monday morning and I had a little spot in that morning, so they we're going to go check me out again. And then I'm in the parking lot and I think my water broke. And this is at 26 weeks. Oh, so I walked upstairs and it was not actually my water, I was actually bleeding. So I had an abruption at 26 weeks. Um, this was at a small community hospital, two hours from a NICU hospital, so called an ambulance. I was transferred to a hospital with a NICU and stayed there a week. Uh, They consulted us with NICU, had the conversation of what NICU stay looks like for a 26-weeker, survival rates, consented for C-section, like everything. And she stayed put. She didn't come out. I didn't bleed anymore. And then had an uneventful pregnancy and carrier for 40 weeks.
1: Wow. But did you have to stay in the hospital the whole time or did you go home? Just
0: for a week. So I stayed in the hospital for a week. So I wasn't bleeding. And usually that's the kind of a standard. If you don't bleed for a week, you can, you can go home. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back home away from a NICU hospital and kind of a nerve wracking 12 weeks until we got to where, you know, my hospital could care for this baby, but it was uneventful; Nothing happened after that.
1: Nice. Great.
0: So yeah, week in the hospital and then carried her to 40 had a 31-hour labor, love her, but 31-hour labor, um, <laughs> and then delivered an eight-pound, beautiful, healthy baby girl.
2: All right, so here's where, uh, and I'm going to like just lead to the right place, that most people, you know, you, you have like a, a bookmark, like you have a fertility journey that got you here, right? And uh, this this is kind of where if you, the next step would normally be like, hey, and you know, to grow our family further, we, we had to use a surrogate. T- tell us what, What happened next and what you did next?
0: Okay. So while I was pregnant with my daughter, actually, while I was in labor with my daughter, a friend of mine who was also a birth photographer was actually carrying her first surrogacy. So I had had this this surrogacy idea put in from a couple of different places, from the donor embryo family who used a surrogate, my photographer at my birth who's a surrogate. And so I just kind of had it in the back of my mind, like my uterus worked, my eggs didn't but my uterus worked maybe I can use that to pay it forward we were gifted two babies why not help somebody else grow their family now so we were done after two we had two amazing daughters healthy beautiful family didn't feel like we needed to have any more but I did want to be pregnant again from a midwife standpoint having a first baby and a first birth can be really tough but second births are like great it's like I need to do that again um so I started talking to, or started doing research and then started talking to my husband and said, what would you think if I became a surrogate? And he literally said, hell no. <laughs> and this was, my daughter was, I think two. And so I just said, you know, I'll keep researching it, learning more about it. So I kind of went to him again, maybe six months later and just kind of said, you know, why was that your reaction? Like, what what are your hesitancies so we kind of talked through that he was worried about like the emotional part of it um so we continued doing research learning from other people's experiences and eventually he was like I think we could do this okay so we started um we started in a Facebook matching group just learning about surrogacy um contacting couples and kind of just putting feelers out there I think we went through like four potential matches or like We were going to match and then, you know, the clinic didn't like the history of abruption or um, something else. So we went through four couples. And then we met our first set of intended parents in August of 2019. So I had reached out to them, just kind of gave them a little bit of information about us. They had posted, they were looking for a surrogate um, and we were chatting for a day. And then two days later they came to South Carolina to meet us. And oh, it wow, was
2: quick.
0: <laughs> quick, two days. She's like, don't think we're crazy, but I could come on Sunday. We're like, yep, let's do it. Okay. So this was in August of 19. So it only took us four months to get from initial contact through psych, medical clearance, obtaining records and all of that, legal. And then we transferred our first transfer in December of 2019
2: you like, I'm going do
0: a pandemic right after that. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yes. But I thought, you know, first transfer worked last time, first transfer won't work this time, no big deal. And then shoot, it was negative. So it did not work. Oh. Oh. So we did a Lupron cycle. So those cycles take a little bit longer. So it was basically two months till the next transfer could happen. So that was in March of 19. So I think probably oh. right before everything shut down. Oh, wow. Out, So we did our second transfer. I was like, all right, this is going to be okay. And then it didn't work. And then we hear that ASRM has now shut down IVF. No electric procedures. Can't try to get people pregnant. We don't even know what's happening in the world. So everything was shut down. So because we were shut down, we decided to try like a long-acting Lupron, which is like a suppression for endometriosis. So I basically was in menopause through all of shutdown or lockdown. Um, did these menopause meds for two months and then got news that May June they were starting to open up transfers again. So of course my intended parents were like, get us in first, you know, we're ready to go.
2: So Jump. yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, please. So finally in June of twenty of two thousand twenty, we were able to transfer our third embryo. Now my initial intended mom um is young. She was twenty-eight maybe. So she had, I think like 11 or 13 embryos, like tons of embryos, okay. lots of very good quality embryos. It wasn't infertility that brought her to surrogacy. It was actually, she had had an emergency hysterectomy during the birth of her first child. Oh, so yeah. she had great eggs. And so we had lots of opportunities, which was great. Um, so we transferred the third embryo and on day five, I took a home pregnancy test. It was negative and I grieved surrogacy. I was done, it wasn't going to happen, it wasn't for me. Yeah. I tried. I can't help but someone else had a family. Um, so I test again on day six, and lo and behold, there's the second line. So it took a little bit, but we got the second line. We were finally pregnant, three transfers in. Oh So that pregnancy was much more uneventful than my first. Everything was smooth, had a great relationship with the intended parents. They came to town, and our kids hung out during the anatomy ultrasound. Everything was weird because it was COVID and they couldn't come to appointments. They Skyped in for all of them. Um, we got the protocol changed at the hospital to allow both of them to be present for the birth, which was amazing. Um,
2: amazing.
0: And it was just the most amazing experience. It was, it was wonderful. They're lovely people. We still are in touch. We see them a couple times a year. We hang out. We text all the time, share pictures. Like It's, just, it's been an amazing experience. But when I gave birth, so the intended mom actually helped the midwife catch the baby, mm-hmm. then placed her skin to skin with me so we could do delayed cord clamping. And then I wanted to hand her her baby. I grew the baby for her. I wanted to hand it to her. I didn't want the midwife to hand it to her. Yeah. So that's a big moment. Yeah. yeah. So I hand her the baby and she looks at me and she says, with tears in her eyes and her baby in her arms, I can't believe you did this for me. And I just mm-hmm. melted. I was just a puddle of tears and I knew that my story was not over at that point. This was not it for me. So we, she stayed at the hospital. I get to go home, you know, like eight hours later, healthy, beautiful, amazing baby. They leave the hospital. They come over to my house and they had, I believe it was her husband's parents that had come to town as well. And they hung out for hours playing with my girls. The girls got to snuggle the baby they got to see her. They had called her baby butterfly. The mom got her, my girl's a butterfly um, charm on a bracelet, like just super sweet moment. So they'd take their baby home. I mean, you know, at this point, three days postpartum and I'm like telling my husband, I got to do this again. He's like, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't let it go. And I think I actually looked back at some emails. I think it was actually like two months postpartum that I started researching agencies. I was like, I think I want to do an agency this time. That first one's independent. I just want somebody to help do the legwork. Work was really busy. I just couldn't imagine doing all the, thing that's, all the things that are involved. I wanted somebody to kind of do the handholding. So I found an amazing agency that was actually located in Atlanta, Georgia, just a couple hours from us. And applied, her back right away, um, did an interview with them. I think we moved on to psych right after that. Um, And really, I think it was like a week or two later from officially applying that I had a profile in my email. Wow, fast. Yeah. And the agency was amazing. It's actually someone that you've interviewed on here before. Um, <laughs> I have a guess. Yeah, were, I, I, say, yes. I can guess too. Yeah, <laughs> They were incredible. They have been amazing. And you're welcome to uh, share. His, we, I'm, we're happy to have names. Share. Family Inceptions is yeah. absolutely incredible. I have loved every moment with them. Um, I think they went through like three profiles. We chatted with one, passed on another. And then the third one is who we ended up matching with. Similar story to my first intended parent. She also had had a hysterectomy. Um, There's something called placenta accreta where the placenta grows through the wall of the uterus. And both of these ladies had that and had to have a hysterectomy. So um, she had also had a hysterectomy after carrying her first. So both had carried their first and then couldn't carry another. And we adore them. We um, started with course on, you know, Skype Mm -hmm. and then we did a joint psych session and got to chat with them, meet them in person for the medical clearance. And we just immediately clicked with them, got along really well. and I mean, we're early. We're only thirteen weeks pregnant now, but it's been a Yay. great. Experience. I was like, being it's incredible. The,
2: you, you carried. You started with a the lead there. I was going to say we had. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, 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 sorry. No. Um, <laughs> so we matched with them. The agency is amazing. They're helping do all the work. So they're telling us, you know, scheduling psych for us. Scheduling medical clearance, booking hotels. So that part of it's been amazing because it's just taken away a lot of the work from us. So, we. The clinic they were using wanted to wait until I was one year postpartum prior to transfer. Some will do six months, but a lot will do medical clearance after six months and transfer after a year. So we knew we were looking to wait a couple of months prior to transfer. So when we matched, we knew they only had one embryo. And I was a little nervous because my my first journey took three embryos. So there's a lot of pressure, but they were willing to do another retrieval. They actually tried to do another retrieval before our transfer and didn't get any healthy embryos. Um, so we were like, all right, this is what we're going to do. This still feels right. We're going to do it anyway. So we, I was adamant about doing the same protocol of like long acting Lupron and once the medications, we had time to wait anyways, I wanted to do the same protocol that worked last time. So that's what we did. We did, you know, another two months of menopause and then all of the lining stimulation and had our lining checks. Everything was looking good until our final lining check prior to the transfer the I was doing this all at my local clinic just to make it easier and they said the lining was not trilaminar. They're looking for like a triple stripe or three lines in the lining that indicates yeah. the best success rate for transfer. So I thought, well shoot, we're done. This is it. Like mm. all those months of of um menopause are for nothing. So I was devastated. And the clinic said, Why don't you just come to Atlanta, let us look on Saturday morning, if it looks okay, we'll continue. <laughs> I guess probably four days prior to the transfer at this point. Yeah. so my agency booked a hotel I had to Atlanta the next day I listened to your amazing podcast the entire way there <laughs> oh. and oh, actually there was on one of the podcasts I was listening to somebody had a similar story they had oh. a lining that wasn't trilaminar they had to go in for an extra ultrasound they had to fly for it they go there everything's mm-hmm. fine the transfer takes is perfect I was like all right well maybe this is my story
1: me. yes right
0: yeah, so we go, we get the ultrasound, the doc actually did the ultrasound herself, and she said, oh my gosh, this line is perfect and beautiful, we'll see you no. on one
2: <laughs>
0: So they gave me my progesterone right then and there, and we were off set for a few days later. So my husband and I go down to Atlanta, so conveniently both of my intended parents are both in Atlanta, we're in Greenville, so two hours away, and so we were able to see my first surrogate baby and her family, we went for medical clearance, and then again, we went for transfer, so we oh, get to see nice. them when we're in town. which is amazing, yeah. yeah. So we go in the night before transfer and see the first family, who's now celebrating her first birthday, yeah. and we go and meet the intended parents for coffee the next morning. And Actually, the intended mom and I met for coffee, and then she took me to the transfer, so we were there together. She was there the whole time with me, and the transfer at this clinic is a different clinic. It's the same city, but different clinic. as the last journey it was incredible they wheeled the embryo in in the isolette like a little baby isolate. the embryo oh came with it we got to oh. see this embryo live living in this room with us oh. not just a picture not here's before thought here's after thaw, it's expanded but like in the flesh like right there in the room wow. so us the embryo we saw them move it around in the petri dish and push it up into the straw and then how they look after they transfer it to make sure that embryo is out of the straw Transfer was perfect, everything looked great. So I go back to the hotel, take a nap, we meet the intended parents for dinner that night, get to meet their daughter, who is sweet and precious and just lovely, so we have to spend time with them and see them as parents, which was really cool because they were really awesome and just had this amazing experience with the transfer. So, of course, now I'm going to test every day because I need to know as soon as possible if I'm pregnant or not. And the, <laughs> the REI actually said that there was a 70% chance of this embryo taking. I think typical is like 50 to 60, but it was the best of the best embryos. So, she said 70% chance. So, I was excited. Hopefully, this will work, you know, but last time was three, so I'm going hold my breath. And we ended up um, on day five, got a positive pregnancy test, kept watching, kept getting darker beta HCG always looked great. First ultrasound, you've got a sweet heartbeat. And now we are 13 weeks pregnant.
1: And oh
0: it's been amazing. I mean, this baby is growing healthy and perfect. And we're just really excited to see where this goes.
1: That is amazing. I, I mean, there's so many elements to your story of, you know, having to, uh, I mean, people helped you with your two children and then you helping other families with their children is so amazing. Um, How do you talk to your children about family building and I mean, being pregnant now, their own, their own backgrounds. I feel like you must have so much to say.
0: Yeah. So the one thing that I find really important is really just being open with them. So there's so many amazing children books out there that explain modern family building. And so my first daughter has always known that she's been adopted. At one point she said, mommy, when I was in your belly, did I? And I said, Brennan, you weren't in my belly. She goes, oh yeah, I forgot I was adopted. Like that just was amazing that's to true. me. She's my daughter. It doesn't yeah. matter if she's adopted, but. She and I love that there's, know. there's
1: no like shame or anything. It's just like, oh, this is, you know, there's different stories. And that's exactly.
0: all fine. Yep, absolutely. There's so many different ways to grow family. And that was just how she came to us. And she knows that God picked me to be her mommy and that God picked daddy to be her daddy, and that she was the one who made us a family. So she's always very excited that she was the one who made me mom. <laughs> um, so lots of children's books that we've always gone and read through them. So she's always known that she's been adopted and wasn't in my belly. The embryo adoption is trickier. Some of that, um, my second daughter is five, and we actually have a really cute book called The Pee That Was Me The Gift of Embryo Adoption. So we talk about how. Babies come from a uh, mommy's sperm and a daddy, or I'm sorry, a mommy's sperm, a mommy's egg and a daddy's sperm, and that sometimes mommies don't have eggs, and that they need to borrow a pea from somebody else, and so she always talks about how she's the pea, and that I swallowed her, and that's how she got into my belly, <laughs> and I think it's harder for her because she knows she grew in my belly, but she's not old enough to understand that genetically she's not related to me. So we've got pictures and information about the, about her biological siblings that one day she'll understand more, but she knows that her story is a little bit different. She doesn't fully understand how, but this, these books are amazing. And there's so many books about surrogacy as well. Um, one of that I love is um, Kangaroo Pouch that talks about my mommy is a surrogate because somebody else's pouch isn't working. They're letting, they're letting, she's letting this other couple borrow her pouch. And so yep. there's just so many different ways to explain it to kids. But I really feel like transparency is the most important thing. I would never want them to be surprised by any bit of their story. It's so important to how they came to me and how their story started that they need to know all about it. And so with the adoption and with the embryo adoption, like we're happy to share any information with them as long as they're seeking it. You know, when they start asking about, wait, so who's the dad of, you know, the adopted mom? I was like, well, that's a little bit trickier, you know. So answering questions as they come up and keeping it age appropriate, but the books have been really helpful. Do
2: you, are you still in contact with the family that donated the embryo? I know you said you have some information on them, but are you still in contact with that family? Because you have four of their embryos. Do you know what happened to the other five? And like, are you connected in that way to that loop there?
0: Yeah, we are. So in our contract, it had said that We had, I believe, 10 years that we could keep the embryos, and if at the end of 10 years we hadn't used them or decided on their fate that we would transfer them back to the parents. Well, after a year, we knew that we were done building our family, so we relinquished the rights back to them, and at that point, then the decision was theirs, and they actually ended up um, letting the embryos thaw at that point. So we had had four. Five were still in Texas. They had actually donated to another couple before they had donated to us. And then that couple had a surprise adoption as well. So they had decided their adoption was their final baby. And so those embryos have all been thought at this point. Uh, Okay. Interesting. That's amazing. And have
1: you met their children?
0: We have not met them, but we are Facebook friends. We text each other, you know, wish each other Happy Mother's Day, Um, see pictures of their kids. They see pictures of my daughter's. um so we have contact that way and then the way that we kind of worded it in our contract was if when the kids are all adults if they're interested in meeting or connecting that we can all discuss it at that point and decide together if we feel like that's healthy for them so they will also know that they've got a biological child or a biological sibling out there i think they're Ten or 11 at this point. So I don't know if they know that yet, but there will definitely be some transparency and kind of knowing how that all played out.
1: Yeah, I love it. Um, what do you feel like are the hardest questions you get? I'm sure people must be really curious about how your family grew and how you're helping others. What kind of questions do you get from them about that?
0: Um, there's definitely been some interesting questions. I know surrogates a lot will get um, a lot of Questions from strangers who kind of have opinions about surrogacy. Um, I think I, because of my personality and just my openness and how willing I am to share the information, it's it's hard for me to get a question that I'm like stumped by or offended by because I'm just very transparent. It is what it is. But, you know, people like to ask like, oh, where are you getting paid or what are you doing that for? Isn't it going to be hard to give up your baby? So people don't understand, like the way I describe it, people say, how could you give up your baby? I'm like, no, no, no. I am the oven. It is not my baby. During my first surrogacy, I didn't really have an attachment to her. It was cool feeling her move, getting the girls to be able to feel her move, experiencing the beauty that is pregnancy. But I never felt an attachment to her. My attachment was to the intended mom. So when I handed her her baby and her face lit up, that was me closing the circle. It wasn't I need to see this baby and hold my baby. It was, I need her to hold her baby and see her reaction. And so I think that's sort of a healthy mindset going into surrogacy is knowing it's not your baby. It's not supposed to be your baby. It never was meant to be your baby. You're doing this for these other adults. And that attachment to the adults was really, I think what kept it like a healthy journey for us.
1: Yeah. Um, And we hear, I mean, negative thoughts about surrogacy, about like exploitation of women I have. How do you respond to anyone who kind of accuses that or says that surrogacy is exploitation of women?
0: So I feel like the ASRM guidelines and the way that, especially a lot of agencies deal with surrogacy, is they they do their best to take out the financial piece of it in the decision making, and even other women who've been surrogates recommend you don't go into it for a financial benefit. So. I could see the expectation being somebody who's like financially struggling, doing it for money. And that would be tricky. That would be, I think, not advice. Um, I think genuinely most people go into surrogacy because they have a heart for helping somebody else. They love being pregnant and want to do it again, but don't want to grow their family or just want a way to bring joy to somebody else. So I really do genuinely feel that most people that go into surrogacy are doing it for the right reasons, and they're not doing it for financial benefit, which I think then could lead to some exploitation.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I know you're only 13 weeks into journey number two. Is this, do you feel like this is the end of your story? (laughs) Do you feel like there's more to come? Who knows?
0: I think so. But you know, (sighs) my agency actually has kind of said like, either you do this once and you are done, or you want to keep doing it forever because it's like when you're carrying someone else's baby it's like you've got this cape on and you're this amazing superhero yeah. and then you give birth and you don't have your cape on anymore and you're like wait wait, well, wait i like my cape i want that back i want to be certain. No, no you're still a, a superhero, superhero no absolutely you are <laughs> so i don't know i think probably i mean i'm getting older anyway so you can't do surrogacy forever so i think this will probably be it but if the first set of parents, intended parents came out and said, yeah, we've got nine more embryos and we'd love a sibling, I'd have a really hard time saying no.
1: Yeah, I hear that. Um, well, I love everything about your family and things that you, what you're doing for other families. Your story and you are so beautiful. So we really it's appreciate amazing. you sharing all of this with us.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys having me. I just want everyone to know, there are so many ways to make and grow a family and you just got to be able to be open to every single possibility and just don't give up. And I tell everyone this because I've got lots of friends struggling with infertility. Like your baby will find you. Thank
1: you to Maureen for sharing her story and for being just an absolutely incredible person.
2: Right. I love when we have incredible humans on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it would make our listeners incredible humans or at least like mm. outwardly look like incredible yeah. humans. What's that? It would be incredible if they would go and buy. I want to put a baby in your merchandise
1: <laughs> as gifts for others. Correct. or, See, for, themselves. That's,
2: or for themselves also. Yeah, you could be, a, be selfish, outwardly looking. Yeah,
1: a phone case with a sperm and headphones on it, or um, a mug, or I, I jogger, did lovingly look pants. at
2: my T-shirt. I have T-shirts. Oh, a t-shirt. I, <laughs> yes, I, I do. Yeah. No, there's there's all kinds of fun stuff. I mean, really, quite honestly, I I was actually at costco randomly once and i was wearing i forgot i I don't always wear that shirt out of the house um and the guy behind the counter was absolutely falling over with laughter and then like begged for my (laughs) podcast card because he was so excited about the name of my podcast (laughs) you too could have awkward encounters in public exactly i can also encourage everybody to have awkward conversations Mm -hmm. that is my you're welcome that is my goal in life (laughs) so um but thank you thank you thank you to our team whether they are wearing awkward merchandise or not we still appreciate them and you um thank you to tyler to melissa to amanda and to janelle who are all incredible human beings and you know we we really appreciate that they they show up for us week after week after week and and support us and and put up with our shenanigans. So, and of course, thank you to all of you who also put up with our shenanigans and keep coming back. So thanks so much.